You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. Is the tip credit dead? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business. And in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I am joined by Peter Romeo, the Editor-at-Large of Restaurant Business. Peter has been reporting on a rapid and increasingly successful movement around the country to do away with the tip credit, the sub-minimum wage that restaurants pay to servers who get tips. This led into an extensive conversation about the rapid rise of service fees in the industry, an effort by the government to regulate such fees, and the impact this is all having on restaurants and their consumers. With the fees, the regulation, and the decline of the tip credit, we wonder whether the industry is going to need another model for paying its employees altogether. It is a fascinating discussion on tipping, service fees, and the tip credit, so please have a listen. All right, I'm here with Peter Romeo. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Always a pleasure to be here with you. All right, super. Let's. What is going on with the tip credit? Is it dead? The tip credit is really under siege. Um, I just found out today that uh, what looked like a uh, a measure that had a snowball's chance in hell of passing in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, one of the major bedroom communities right outside D.C. Looks like they're going to uh, start phasing out the tip credit as well. Um, the adjacent, uh, uh, I believe, adjacent county, Prince George's, they took up a, uh, they took it up last week. So what we're seeing is, as a result of what happened in Chicago, which was viewed by all sides as a test case, labor forces prevailed there. Uh, not only did they prevail there, but amazingly. They got the support of the Illinois Restaurant Association, one of the mm -hmm. bigger associations. And so what's happening is uh, we're seeing proposals to kill or phase out the tip credit spreading the way we saw the $15 wage proposal spread a number of years ago. It, it, it's becoming uh, kind of the, the, the big issue. And it's interesting because proponents of the tip credit one of their big arguments is if you're adjacent to a city or a county that ha that does not have a tip credit, your employees are going to race over to those adjacent areas and try to work there because they make more money. So sure. you better kill the tip credit because otherwise you're going to lose your staff. Experience has taught us that the exact opposite happens, but that's a very effective argument. So uh, the tip credit is really, really under siege. Uh, certainly on the municipal level, certainly on the county level, and certainly on the state level. And there are even a couple of proposals kicking around uh, from um, uh, Senator Bernie uh, Sanders, uh, even on the federal level. So it, we're going to see a lot of action, a lot of uh, activity on that front going forward. Doesn't seem to have a snowball's chance in hell at uh, hitting at the federal level, or am I overstating that? Uh, no, it actually does have uh, a, a good chance. Um, just to, to put it in perspective, the power that um, organized labor is wielding with the new administration. So uh, the acting secretary of labor is, uh, I believe, either today or tomorrow, meeting with the Restaurant Opportunity Center uh, personnel. Our Rock Restaurant Opportunity Center is uh, unabashedly funded by the unions. And here we have the U.S. Department of Labor 
meeting with them to talk about you know what they'd like to see so no it's um it, it's no longer a snowball's chance in hell i Two months ago, I would have said, oh, no way. There's no way in this environment. It's too fractious. It's too uh, divisive. But it, it's happening very quickly. And now the momentum is definitely picking up and going against what many regard as the interests of the industry. But wouldn't that need a congressional vote? And or can can the Biden administration do that on their own? Uh, no, they would have to. They would need legislation. And, and yeah. indeed, uh probably it would get tied up in the house but there again if we go back two months ago uh anticipating what the situation would have been in chicago i i think most people would have said there's no way that the tip credit will be killed in a restaurant centric city like chicago and it just flew through the legislature so and I can't help thinking about how we almost laughed at proposals to raise the hourly uh, wage to $15. And now it's, it's not that unusual at all. People would love to have a $15 wage rather than what they're actually paying. We also don't have a $15 wage at the federal level. It is still. Actually no, no. And, and so- it's interesting. I, I, I don't think we're ever going to be there. I, I wonder in that regard. If in the near future we'll see an increase in the federal minimum wage, there's kind of no need for it because so much is happening on the state level. But these this last round of proposals for the tip credit, they didn't give an absolute dollar value. You know, the the tip that the wage that employers of servers who use a tip credit, they have to pay two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. And that's a very effective tool for building support for killing the tip credit because who in this day and age could survive on $2.13 an hour? But the last round of proposals went for percentages. And they the argument, say, in Chicago was, let's bring it up the tip credit level to 40% of the full minimum wage. Well, geez, it's still 60% below. That's an effective way of packaging it. That's an effective way of sort of describing what it does. And it's an easier sell to say, hey, don't you want to bring people up to uh, 40% or 60% of what uh, everyone else is getting? So um, that's what could happen on the federal level is something like that. But no doubt on the federal level, it'd be a tough fight and we've got other issues to deal with. But there definitely is that momentum building. Mm-hmm. What happened in, in Chicago to lead that, you know, I mean, what happened in Chicago, really? I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to me, I guess. That's one thing. So, uh, Lori, uh, Lori Lively, uh, unpopular mayor, um, came in uh, really stoking hopes for some progressive government, uh, really leading uh, that city forward. And seemed like she was more hell-bent on fighting than on moving the ball forward. And very little got done. And she alienated a lot of people. Uh, so it was very it was very obvious she was going to lose the, the general election. Uh, and the question was, well, what Democrat could step up to sort of fill her shoes? Who, was, who were the likely candidates? And there really weren't any. There was really a dearth of uh, talent there. And out of this came a relatively unknown politician, Brandon Johnson, who uh, smartly, uh, I believe he was a teacher, 
uh, smartly cozied up with the powerful unions in uh, Chicago, including the teachers union and including the uh, union that's the largest in our space, the SEIU. And he basically said, look, support me and we can talk business. And one of the things he made that as a campaign promise, and it's, it's really kind of crazy because most people in the industry don't even know what the tip credit is or how it works. And here he was telling the population, the working population of Chicago, I will do away with the tip credit if you elect me mayor. And that, of course, was music to the ears of the big unions. And so they supported them. And lo and behold, Brandon Johnson was the new mayor. And he said, OK, well, I promised I'll do that. Let's do it. So SEIU put a lot of money behind it, but the industry was still pretty confident that they could beat it back or at least temper it enough where it wouldn't be quite as painful <clears throat> as it's going to prove to be. I mean, we're talking about a 69 percent. Uh, wage increase over five years for servers. The The key thing was it was obvious that uh, organized labor had a lot of uh, power. Uh, they signed up 26 of the 50 aldermen, uh, Chicago aldermen, to be co-sponsors. So that's more than 50% right there. Uh, all of a sudden, it looked like they were going to be able to pull this off. The Residual resistance came from the restaurant industry, of course. And lo and behold, the head of the Illinois Restaurant Association, seeing that the industry was going to go down in defeat, said, well, let's salvage what we can and cut a deal. And that deal was instead of phasing in the uh, or phasing out the tip credit over a two year process, they would do it in five years. And he was uh, Sam Toya is his name. And he was so uh, enthusiastic about the compromise that the SEIU put out an announcement saying that the Illinois Restaurant Association endorses uh, killing the tip credit. Sent out a press release, went on social media. So all of a sudden, the last sort of holdout, the last uh, bed of resistance was basically saying, no, we're okay with this. And so it just sailed through initially a committee, a key committee, and then in the, the whole, uh, uh, the whole uh, city council just pushed through. And interestingly, even as that was still going on, even as the votes were sort of being counted, SEIU said to uh, Jay Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, you know, you're next. We should bring this to you next week. And Pritzker said, essentially, yes, do bring it up. I'm very interested. So it was a matter of the industry Instead of going down in a fight, figure that they would uh, cut a deal. And the deal is not that great if you look at it from the industry standpoint. And now it's on record as the industry having endorsed this. So it's tough to block something that even the people most affected, uh, i.e. the restaurants, will uh, say that they're okay with it. Now, the impact of this we saw in the D.C. area, did we not? I mean, the result of that is we saw a dramatic and pretty rapid increase in the use of fees. Um, service fees is one of the things, one of the solutions that companies, that restaurant companies have taken. Anything else like that that we saw uh, that happen when, when in, in D.C. or in other communities? You know, the service fees 
it was kind of two factors that came into play with the spread of service fees. First was the inflation. The thinking mm -hmm. was, my God, even in D.C., which is a very high-ticket market, um, there's a lot of expense account dining there. So there's less sens price sensitivity than you might see in certain cities. But even in D.C., with prices at the level they were, operators felt that they could not uh, they could not raise their prices again. So they were looking for other ways of getting revenue, other ways of offsetting, paying their servers more, and service fees were was the option that was widely embraced. Uh, the Employee Policies Institute, a pro-industry group, they estimate that 70% of restaurants, full-service restaurants in D.C., either have adopted a service fee or will. And it's proven very problematic, uh, in large part because D.C. lost the tip credit as a result of a, a referendum in November. That referendum called for the phase out to begin the following May, which in government terms is just the blink of an eye. And so operators, they weren't ready, but certainly the customers weren't ready. They didn't even understand what was going on. They saw this extra fee and thought, well, what's this? Do we even have to pay this? Is this mandatory? And do I tip on top of it? And how come this place has a 3% fee and this place has a 25% fee? So there was a great deal of, of um, confusion. But in Chicago, the expectation across the board is that we're going to see another wave of service fees coming into play. The other reactions, and it's sad to say, but uh, the other reactions in D.C. were basically to try to trim your service staff as much as you possibly can to um, uh, just to, to pay fewer people though the, that higher wage. So there, there probably will be a, a retraction on this. Mm -hmm. um, so you know th those are, are two of the, the upshots we've seen. Now in other areas that have disallowed the tip credit, interestingly, DC actually disallowed the tip credit initially in 2018. And there was such a hue and cry from servers that the city council reinstated the tip credit. Very similar thing happened in Maine where servers got together and led the fight to reinstate the tip credit. So I guess you could say that one of the other uh, side effects or, or part of the fallout is that we might hear from servers and what we hear might not be too cool. They might be very upset about this because the upshot is they might end up making less money. Right. Right. One of the issues here to me is cause it's, it's, well, I want to, I want to move into this before I get into the discussion that I was planning for the second half of this. And that's because we're talking about service fees and we're seeing a dramatic increase. I live in Minneapolis and Minneapolis uh, does not have a tip credit, and we see service fees all over the place. Um, but now the federal government, the Biden administration, is now including service fees as part of its junk fees regulation package. Could you talk a little bit about that and what that could sure. be? So going back to the State of the Union address, I believe it was the most recent one. It might have even been a year prior to that. Biden surprised a lot of people by focusing in on junk fees. You know, there really hadn't been a lot of chatter about it beforehand. There had been among the consumers, but not really mm -hmm. on a political level. And he identified this as an issue for the working Joe and Jane out there and something that needed to be curbed. And it kind of caught a lot of people unaware. 
But initially, he was talking about sort of the more blatant offenders, uh, concert ticket sellers or airlines or hotels. And I studied everything I could find about the proposals and sort of where people's heads were in Washington about junk fees. And there was nothing about restaurants. So the uh, Department of Labor said, uh, you know, well, let's collect some information about how to curb these junk fees uh, that the hotels charge, that car rental companies charge, all these other offenders. And in the process, they were astonished by how many comments they received from consumers complaining about service fees and complaining about delivery fees. And it opened the DOL's eyes to this whole other category of junk fees, i.e. service fees and the delivery fees. So now the FTC is looking at regulating these fees, including those charged by restaurants, including those charged by third-party delivery services. And that's a real surprise. Um, The National Restaurant Association acknowledges that they're still going through the 161-page proposal in terms of what the Federal Trade Commission intends to look at. So it's very detailed. Restaurants are very much a part of the scope right now. And that could be a real challenge because, you know, you've got higher regulation or stiffer regulation with more service fees coming in. That's just made for conflict. And the upshot is probably a lot of lawyers are going to make even more money testing (laughs) the boundaries of this. Right. I think so. What we have here is a situation in which a growing number of communities are ending a tip credit which is leading a growing number of restaurants to institute service fees um, and also creating this push-pull push between restaurants, customers, and servers over tipping. And at the same time, now we've got this threat of regulation sitting over here from the federal government, you know, over, over these sorts of fees. And, you know, to me, like the U.S., like, like, look, I mean, the U.S., I'm just going to be very blunt and honest. I find this whole thing stupid as hell. I think our situation in the restaurant industry today, the full service restaurant industry today, is one of the dumbest situations that has evolved out of our capitalist system outside of things like healthcare. I don't think anybody in their right minds would create a system in which you are going to you are you have to you have companies too afraid to raise prices the to the levels that they're supposed to be doing and that's what's going on here that's always what has been going on since day 1 since the day the first idiot brought tipping to the United States. That is exactly my view on this. Is it's because employers have always been afraid of raising the price of a taco. We've had somebody else on this podcast before. I'm afraid to raise the price of a taco. And so therefore I'm not going to do it. So instead what you do is you just get them on the back end. So something to me about all of this, about the way this operates is going to have to change and going to have to be simple. Because the problem we have now is we have created a system where 
we, you know, the, the prices for eating out have, have grown up dramatically. And it's not just the menu prices that people are paying. It's these, it's these fees that we're getting. It's the, we just, you know, it's, it's, it's the tipping and the tip prompts. By the way, we just said, I mean, if you, we have our advice guy column and the advice guy column this week was a, from a restaurant owner who said their staff was asking them to increase the level of tip prompts because people were just automatically click, you know, from 18, 20 to 23% to 20, to a baseline of 20, 23, 25%. The staff wanted them to push customers to increase the level of tips. Now, I, I'm all in favor of people making more money, but we're at a point where the whole thing is actually customer unfriendly and in a serious way, where the price you end up paying when you dine out is very different than the price you think you're going to pay when you go into it. And ultimately, I just think this is going to be, I think this is going to be a problem for the industry over the next couple of years, given how much this costs. You hit the nail on the head in that this system is just so peculiar. If you were an MBA candidate and you you did your thesis on developing a compensation model built on tipping, you would get an F. It's a crazy, stupid idea. It should not work. It's just irrational from the get-go, except it works. No, no, it actually doesn't. I will vehemently disagree with you. I just went to a local restaurant. I'll tell you, I just went to a local restaurant. Doesn't have tipping. Great service. I had no problems. I've been in Europe. No tipping problems. I have never had a problem with service. Any kind of concern. It doesn't. It no, no, it doesn't. It's it doesn't any different here than it does anywhere. Well, so servers love it. They love it because. Tipping will give them more money than if they got the full minimum wage with no tip. Sure. So, so unless, tipping has to be, to be, unless they happen to be black or something else. I mean, the, the how much you get in tips does not necessarily correlate between well, that's how true. good a service you provide. And it's that's discriminatory true. against certain groups. That, that is true. It is that not, is true. There's definitely are, some problems with it. Yeah. Women. huge problems with it. But the operators like it. And the interesting thing is where I would disagree with you is a lot of customers like to tip. When Danny Meyer did away with tipping and went with hospitality included, one of the biggest problems he had was people drawing in a line for tips. So even if it's irrational, it's what we're accustomed to. But where I agree with you is something has to change. You know, for eons, you and I have been at this a lot more than a few weeks. And the industry has been saying, boy, we wish we had a professional service class, restaurant service class, mm-hmm. like they do in Europe. Well, we're starting to get it. We need part it. of that is the industry has got to pay its employees more. It, it's does. criminal what some people make. And so we're in that transition period. And this is part of that transition period of shifting to actually that being a career. It might not happen in, before the time we retire, but it is happening, and, and uh, that is part of the reason why I think the tip credit is going to go away, and we're going to see more salaried servers and uh, uh, things like that. Certainly, we're going to see right now in that transition, we're going to see a lot of people on the full service side shift into fast casual just to avoid some of these problems. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I mean we've we're starting to see that already. I mean, yeah. um, uh, I mean Lisa Jennings just actually wrote about one situation in DC already. 
where yeah. you're, I mean, it, and you know, you you definitely see it where you know we are seeing more hybrid type business models and more business models that are really sort of shifting away from uh, from from some of this. Uh, you know, from from some of the full service models that that we've seen in the past, you know, I I just find I I find the whole thing to be monumentally confusing. It's causing more complications than to me. I think it's worth. Um, and the idea we definitely need a professional service class. I don't think that there's any question about that at all. I gave a presentation last week to uh, non-commercial operators about labor and what's working, what incentives seem to be uh, turning heads in terms of recruitment. And really, all the things that I listed based on what we've been writing about were all steps toward a career. Things like educational development, things like addressing familial needs, not only educating the employee, but their spouse or another member of their family or some type of educational assistance for their children. Housing assistance, that's the new frontier. We're going to see a lot of that going forward. And it's all part of this. Um, I'm not. I'm no longer a kid looking for pocket money so I can buy beer in a car. I might be the head of the household and, and I'm looking for a way to, to sustain my family. And so the industry is getting what it's what it wanted, but it's going to have to pay. I mean, really, when you look at fast food prices, even given the last two years, they are still a bargain. And you go back to when I was a kid, when I remember going to Wetson's, where it was 15 cents for a burger and a quarter for a double, where for 50 cents you could get a meal. It's astronomical. It's almost like it's it's defying physics uh, to, to do that. So the industry, we have a long way to go, uh, for sure. Yeah, 15 cents, you're old, Peter. Well, it, it, it was one, And I mean, this was at a time when a McDonald's burger might have been 45 cents. But at Wetson's, a local chain, you could get 25, a double burger for 25 cents. Uh, fries were 10 cents and a drink was 30 cents. And so you could go there as much as you wanted. So... Yeah. And not that long ago, despite what you might think. <laughs> All right. For the record, I tip really well, just for the record. Like, well, it was interesting. In Chicago, some of the opposition was raised by folks who had worked in restaurants and bemoaned the fact that a lot of consumers don't know how to tip. You know, they tend to round it off to the nearest whole dollar. So $18 meal, you leave 20 that's that's substandard that should be a, maybe a 23 dollar tip right so uh that's part of it but that there again that reinforces the old system and we got to yeah. get away from that old system we got to invent right. a new model we do right we're going to rely on the average person who doesn't know how to drive a stick to try to do that kind of complicated math and then we're going to add on top of that well this additional complication of all right we're charging a service fee I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it becomes, you have to get out a calculator. Fortunately, everybody's carrying one these days. You got to get out a calculator to figure this sort of stuff out and do complicated math. You practically need algebra to understand whether to, you know, how much to tip, whether to tip, what to tip about, that sort of thing. Just getting too complicated. My rule is always don't make it complicated. The more complicated you make it. 
the tougher, you know, tougher you make it on your customers and your staff. And so if you're making it that hard, I mean, we're relying on people who, you know, don't understand how to calculate 20% of a bill to provide, you know, the, you know, the, the, the pay for your average server, you know, why not just do away with it, increase the charges up front and then, and then pay them a, a livable wage. And then, you know, then you throw a couple of bucks onto your bill if you get extraordinary service. I don't see what's so complicated about it. So one other thing about this, one of the so, uh, one of the impacts that hasn't been that discussed that much, certainly it wasn't in Chicago or Illinois, but at least initially with servers getting a nice bump in what the employer pays them directly, plus tips, all of a sudden that wage gap between front and back of the house is going to widen. So mm-hmm. the difficulties of getting people to uh, work in the kitchen are going to be that much tougher because there's just so much more money to be made in front of the house. And so that's going to really intensify that uh, recruitment effort on the part of the full service folks. You know, that's why I think we are going to see a lot more t- uh, tip pooling and tip sharing and uh, all those things, which there again is going to make a lot of lawyers rich because of uh, testing the rules. Always something leading to higher paid lawyers. Peter, this was fantastic. Really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Well, my pleasure. And I guarantee you, Jonathan, I will bet you tickets to a Yankee game that uh, we will see the dissolution of the uh, tip credit as one of the big trends of 2024. I don't don't want to go to a Yankees game. (laughs) And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this on other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. And you may find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor in chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.